I would make the comparison to something like anorexia, mm-hmm. where it's like I feel completely uncomfortable with my body, and that's right. it's disrupting everything, every thought, every day. And even when those around yeah. me will say the opposite, you know, yeah, and and you I just yeah, can't right. convince yourself, right? And I just I can't just rise up above this. Hello, this is Pastor John. And this is Pastor Tim. And this is the Every Moment His podcast, a podcast from Holy Cross Lutheran Church in the great city of Kearney in the great state of Nebraska. That's right. In, in the great, this great country, nation that we United call States, America. Yeah. Yeah, so the great continent. This great planet God's created. Yeah, here we are. Here we are. Um, and what are we talking about today? So today we are talking about uh, transgenderism. Right. And we're going to break this into three episodes, and so stick with us. Uh, really, our, our desire here is to break into this conversation and, and uh, just kind of, well, first of all, just remember that the gospel is so good, it allows us to talk about hard things, uh, things that might be controversial, things that might be painful, things that might be kind of, you know, uh, contested. And uh, so the gospel allows us to talk about those things because uh, the gospel is so good. It mm-hmm. gives us kind of a safe space to talk about things. Mm-hmm. But also, uh, we really just want to help our listeners, wherever they're coming from, be informed and think about things with uh, a biblical approach. And so we want to give some good definitions uh, so we can avoid stereotypes, so we can have empathy for people. But we also want to have our minds and our hearts to be shaped by the scriptures rather than the culture. And, and so uh, this is definitely a topic that I think really kind of people feel, yeah. especially if they have somebody in their family who's, uh, who's experiencing gender dysphoria. We'll talk about that a little bit mm-hmm. later, or maybe who's transitioning or has transitioned. We'll talk about what that means later too. Uh, so yeah, all of that, but um, the gospel's good, and so we yeah. can talk about those things. And it, it does seem like it's been, this is kind of like the new topic of yeah. maybe controversy. Um, everyone has maybe an opinion about it, and it's in, the, it's in the news a lot lately. It's also very politicized. It is. And yeah. which is sad because often the people who are struggling with this are, are not politicizing it. They're struggling right. with it. And, and so... Um, like so many things these days, nobody's really having good conversations. And so we want to be inviting people into a good conversation. And so we just ask for open-mindedness and just to have the mind of Christ as we think about these things. So today we're going to talk about just some definitions, get familiar with the topic. Next episode, we're going to talk about, well, uh, what are maybe some treatments that have been, you know, prescribed by our society, by, by those in the, uh, you know, medical profession. And how might those, there's kind of different paths people could take and what would be healthy or not healthy. And then finally, we'll talk about a biblical response, a biblical way of thinking about these things. Okay, good. Yeah. So before we get into a difficult topic, should we, should we hear a joke? Sure, lighten things up a little okay. bit. <laughs> Who was the coolest doctor at the hospital? Don't know. It was the hip doctor. The hip doctor. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. That, that one just glides. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I'll have to try that one at home. Yeah. yeah so. 
Yeah, so let's get our terms straight here. So okay. when we talk about transgender, what does this mean? Well, transgender is really a, um, an umbrella term to talk about anyone who is uh, uncomfortable in their own uh, body or is uncomfortable with the cultural stereotypes associated with male or female. Okay. Um, but here's, here's what dictionary.com says, right? Uh, uh, noting or relating to a person whose gender identity does not correspond to that person's biological sex assigned at birth, um, or noting or relating to a person who does not conform to societal gender norms or roles. Right. And so basically we're talking about people who feel uncomfortable in their maleness or their femaleness. Mm -hmm. of their biological sex. Yeah, and whether that uh, discomfort has to do uh, with uh, their own experience of their own bodies or mm -hmm. maybe the, the experience of societal norms saying right. what we dress and what we're interested in and, and things like that. Yeah, so that's what we're talking about. Uh, there's a technical term that I think is more useful, and it's called gender, gender dysphoria. Mm -hmm. And gender dysphoria is something that has been in the psychological um, um, definition of things for a long time, yeah. the, the uh, DSM-4 or DSM-5, which is the psychological diagnostic book, um, it, it says gender dysphoria is a marked incongruence between one's experience, expressed, gendered, and assigned gender of at least six months duration, which causes significant distress. Right. So there's actually a condition mm -hmm. that um, psych psychologists, psychiatrists would say when people have this for a, a duration of time, so there's a measurable, mm -hmm. and also it causes them distress. And they say uh, studies show that the prevalence of this in people is between 1 in, one in 10,000 to 1 in 13,000 males. Uh, and in females, it's 1 in 20,000 to one in 34,000. So it's more common in males than in females uh, in general. Um, but other studies have shown that maybe one in 215 to one in 300 may have some kinds of these feelings. So say I feel uncomfortable as a, as a boy right now mm -hmm. or girl, but they, it doesn't really push them to a point of significant distress in their life. Yeah, right. right. Yeah, and so this is something that, that people do experience Mm -hmm. and it's something that is in varying degrees and yeah. also that may even pass, but sometimes can be chronic. Yeah, and I think the, the psychology and the, the um, psych psychology health community has really shown that there's a, a very small portion of people in the population who have a genuine struggle with this. Right now, but then, and we'll talk about this a little bit later, we have seen, you know, statistically, there's been a, an increase, mm -hmm. particularly in, uh, in female p uh, population, yeah. like pre-adolescent, adolescent. And, and so we'll talk about startling. what all that means and why such a huge increase in that. Um, we do want to make a distinction here, and, and that is that uh, gender dysphoria or transgenderism would be different, uh, be distinct from uh, the, an intersex condition. Yeah, good point. And so intersex is, while sometimes those two can overlap, but generally they're different, 
uh, intersex means that somebody is born and it's not altogether certain which uh, gender the person is. And, and so, uh, and sometimes there's surgeries and there's, there's decisions to be made with that. And, and uh, but that is a real condition people have, but it's, we need to differentiate that from, uh, yeah. from gender dysphoria. So yeah, uh, intersex condition, and there's some other ones too, um, yeah. where there's a, a genetic disorder. Sometimes right. people are born with extra X female chromosomes or mm -hmm. extra Y male chromosomes. And sometimes they're born with both genitalia. Right. And this is um, like a physical deformity kind of a condition. And very rare, but it even is. Jesus seems to give a acknowledgement of this in yeah. the Gospel of Matthew. He talks about those who are born as uh, eunuchs, who are made eunuchs, or who choose to be eunuchs. And that's a that's a technical term back in the ancient world yeah. of somebody who um, who would be have it. So typically, their male genitalia was altered. Mm -hmm. um, and but Jesus is acknowledging that sometimes people are born male but maybe their genitalia doesn't always conform completely to that and so yeah. even in the ancient world there was this understanding of that and um yeah so yeah so we're n really not talking about that that's a real thing and it's mm -hmm. about it's rare it's one in five thousand and we need people to might we have need something to like distinguish this. that yeah. because it can be confusing if we if we mix those things yeah we're, we're talking about people who have a feeling or desire of a mismatch right between their biological sex and mm -hmm. how they feel they are in the world. So somebody might say, I am, I am a female trapped in a male body. Yeah, that might be right. something somebody might say, or I experience life as a female, although I have a male body, things like yeah. that. Yeah. Or, yeah, or on the more social side of things, like it's the, it's the male who says, I don't feel any uh, interest in male typical things, sports. Right. And I, I just feel no interest in that part of society. Mm -hmm. I would much rather dress up, you know, and maybe do more s typically sensitive things, uh, indoor activities, that kind of thing. Uh, so it's more of a social rejection of what is being told they should be like. Yeah, and that's such a fascinating thing to talk mm -hmm. about too because, I mean, what what does maleness mean or what does femaleness yeah. mean? That's a whole conversation to have probably another episode. But, you know, if like, for example, like I, I grew up not really liking sports at all. I was yeah. kind of more of a I'm going to read and um, I'm going to do art kind of stuff right. and, and I'm going to do music. And I just really wasn't into the aggressive kind of physical sports kinds of things. And, and yet... Um, never saw that as being less than male kind of thing. So yeah, we do have these kind of like yeah. stereotypical, um, or, or there's the old kind of thing, like a tomboy, like a, a female who's gonna really be into the typical male physical activities. And yeah, right. it's like some, I don't think that scripture necessarily has these distinctions, you know, and some of them are societal. And, and so uh, that, plays into the conversation too. But let's talk a little bit about some theories for causes because, you know, when you look under the the hood a little bit here at different theories, it's actually pretty complicated. Oh, man. There's not a lot of agreement necessarily on why someone might experience gender dysphoria. Well, and I, yeah, that's right. It's it's incredibly complicated. And I've been researching for this this episode and re doing some, some reading on this and it's like, mm -hmm. wow, as soon as you start 
thinking about people on an individual level of what has caused this, man, you really don't know. And yeah. so there's a, there's a lot, a lot of research and a lot of mystery still. Um, so some people might suggest that it's a, na- so is it nature or is it nurture? Some people might suggest it's a nature issue that people have a, uh, genetic something, hmm. something's going on in their genes that is causing them to act or desire this way. And they have been studying this for quite a while. And there's a theory called, um, just the brain body theory where the idea is that there would be a male brain in a female body. And so, uh, recently there was a pretty good study, a comprehensive study of all of the research done on this. So a research study on research, but they looked at, they surveyed all of these studies on this idea. And this is in the journal of sexuality and gender. And they, the, um, the researchers said there's just really no good precedent. There's no good reason in the research. So all the brain scans they took, all of these things, they said it's, it would be almost impossible to push this theory forward any further to say that there's distinct male or female brains that are in opposite bodies. Mm -hmm. Uh, It is true that male brains and female brains act differently or have different amounts of connections. Yeah. And and that's fascinating because it's almost something we're not willing to admit these days is that there really are differences, you know, between men and women. and, And these are pretty important differences. And, and, and of course there's spectrums here and there's, there's not always like hard and fast categories, but, but there, but there are categories, you know, there are, it's not hard and fast, but there is a data that emerges. A trend, you know, that one really fascinating study took a look at infants, infant behaviors, and they found that, uh, female infants will stare at faces like Mm. about three times longer than, than males will. And male infants will look at a mobile, uh, things moving through space much longer than females will. And so this, they expected this result, actually, because they, they um, expected that males do have uh, a little bit bigger portion of the brain dedicated towards spatial reasoning. Uh, and females tend to have more language connectors in their brains more right to left lobe uh, Mm -hmm. connection. So pretty fascinating stuff. Uh, But this theory would say that they would expect to see, okay, male typical indicators in a brain would be present in a female body or a female person who felt like a male. Mm -hmm. And they said, no, after all the thousands and thousands of brain scans, we just don't see evidence of that. And I think, uh, that would be very hard to understand because generally it's our hormones that shape the way our bodies develop and your brain is simply a part of your body. So if the hormones are present for you to be a male, your brain is probably going to be formatted a little bit more that way and your body is too. Well, then what about nurture? Because then there's always this like perennial debate, you know, like nature versus nurture. And, and sure. So is this something within the environment in childhood? Is this sort of a... Yeah. And th- again, this, it's complicated, but there is some evidence for that, mm-hmm. that there really are. And some people have been very vocal about this, that they had an experience that they felt pushed them towards a transgender 
idea, idea, right? Yeah. Uh, like for instance, people have said, you know, my, I had this experience where my grandmother continually dressed me up as a girl because she wanted a girl. So from ages, you know, one and a half to three and a half, I was at my grandma's house and I always dressed in a dress. Mm-hmm. And these things happen, but it's by no means all of it. Yeah. yeah. Once again, it's like, you don't, cause like, and when I think of even causes of anything, you know, I don't think you can go into a, a category of like, it's just nature. It's just nurture. Yeah. Like we are fearfully and wonderfully made and we, we are, we are our genes, but we're also our experience and we're all, we're a lot of things. Mm-hmm. And how do those things all come together? That's like such a w- intricate web that only God sees. Um, but certainly our environments shape us. Mm-hmm. And even, I think this kind of goes to the next part, is, is the, the power of, of social suggestion too. Yeah, and so this is a, a story that I, so first of all, I wanna say that like, okay, it could be that some, some of these people growing up had that experience and it mm-hmm. genuinely confused them. Um, but other people could have been totally in a, in a normal setting, normal right. household. Mm-hmm. And so I think we want to resist uh, any conclusion that would just try to blame parenting right out or something like that. Well, and the same thing is true for homosexuality. So, yeah. for example, you know, like there there are those people who have same-sex attractions and they can actually kind of locate, like, I had this experience mm-hmm. uh, that I can see shaped, you know, my my sexual preferences. But But we're just, as human beings, we're super complex. And so we do have to, we do have... We have stories, but s- an incidental story doesn't doesn't kind of spread to everything. And so yeah. um, it's important we hear stories, but also that we look at research. And um, but I'm really interested in this this whole thing about just social suggestion or even social contagion is a yeah. term that's used. That 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 there's such a trend in society. There's a there's there's a movement in society of people identifying as you know you know you're identifying as transgender and how does that kind of connect to what other people are doing so talk about that more well yeah before i I get to that i wanted to share like kind of a personal story that just my own experience um and um just changing details enough that i mean no one's gonna be outed or anything but uh, a family that we got to know in canada their little boy um, started dressing in a dress and so totally surprised us because um, good friends with, with us and like all of a sudden this kid was wearing a dress, you know, a little boy. And um, that was supported by parents and grandparents, at least to some degree. So there's kind of a reinforcement here. Yeah, of, like they were yeah. really, and I kind of empathize with them because they, they were like, yeah, he just really wants to do this and we don't feel like we need to like s- just really stomp it out or anything like that. And mm-hmm. But they did have that kind of mindset of, well, who are we to say what, you know, he should wear or not wear. Um, so they were almost of the mindset, like, let's see where this goes. Uh, well, part of what was happening in that family is the girl in the family had some developmental uh, delay. And so that was taking all kinds of attention from mom and dad, Mm. like tons of attention, tons of energy, tons of resources. 
And uh, I've read some, some articles that suggest that uh, if that's the case, if, if a, a little boy, a little girl sees that, oh, the opposite gender gets all of the attention, mm-hmm. then in order to get attention, which is like the most important resource for kids, yeah. is they might pretend to be the other, other gender. Mm-hmm. Identify with yeah. it. Yeah. And so, I mean, I, I would guess that w- is what was going on there. Um, you know, the little boy, um, he kind of snapped out of it pretty easily, <laughs> snapped into it, snapped out of it pretty easily. Mm-hmm. But I think the reaction from the parents was interesting in saying, well, we're not sure what to do here. Well, it's also interesting to see that some of those who are struggling with, uh, with gender dysphoria, if they, if they, if they don't make any decision, and by decision I mean the decision to to transition, which mm-hmm. would be to, you know, take steps through hormones or through even surgery to to um, transition to the other gender, the gender identified with. Um, for those who who just wait that out through puberty, mm-hmm. um, oftentimes people will go will just identify with the gender assigned at birth. Yeah, it, just it kind of resolves itself. Right, right. And that's um, why, uh, you know, we'll talk about this in another episode, but there's like concerns like, should we be making these decisions, supporting these decisions that are sometimes irreversible? Yeah. Um, if there's going to be a tendency to go back later. So, yeah. Yeah. The, so the other thing that we, we were kind of getting into is this, um, there is kind of a social pressure. Yeah. And you were bringing mm-hmm. that up, just kind of like, it seems like, you know, it's almost not cool to just be normally sexually oriented, normally sexually. I'm a male interested in females. There's even a term for that cisgender, which cisgender, is yeah. almost a little bit of a slight sometimes. Yeah. So like, and, and I, I saw this a lot in Connecticut in the, in the public schools there too, that, that you would have, if, if somebody was just a cisgender male, then that was like super vanilla. That was kind of yeah. boring. Basic. And basic. And, yeah. and so I saw more and more teens who were saying, no, I'm actually pansexual, meaning I, I, I can, I'm open to all forms of sexual expression or I'm asexual. I don't really feel sexual attraction or feel a need for that. Are people who were, were saying that, you know, I'm, I'm, um, you know, I'm somewhere on the spectrum and, mm-hmm. and, um, and so you can't really, you know, pin me down. Yeah, that gender as either male or female. Yeah, that gender is just a yeah. social construct. Right. It's just something that we've created, and and so there's gender fluidity that that you know we shouldn't be pinned down. And and I just saw that more and more of these young people were taking on these identities, and it would really mm-hmm. become a big part of their own expression of who they are. Mm-hmm. And people would kind of rally around it and and, and really celebrate. Yeah, celebrate. Yeah. And so this especially your teenage years is a, is a huge time of self-discovery and finding out who you are and, and self-expression yeah. and confusion. And, and so you can kind of form an identity around this. And so this is really what um, Abigail Schreier uh, wrote a book, um, just read it this past summer, called Irreversible Damage. Mm-hmm. And she was really focusing on the trend, the increase among preteen and teen girls in particular uh, to transition toward male. And she's wrestling with what is the connection between things like the rise in social media and the rise of mm. the use of, 
smartphones, which also we've seen a rise in like, you know, depression and anxiety yeah. with yeah. those things. You can see those levels go up and there's a correlation there. So uh, is there even a social pressure as young girls are going through puberty a lot different than they did 30 years ago? Yeah, and, in, and in kind so of a, a digitally connected yeah. way. And so on the one hand, like teenage pregnancy is down, like teenage sex is down, but also kids are not hanging out together in person. And so they're not really experiencing adolescence the way we have for thousands of years where like right. you kind of figure it out, the rough edges of adolescence by being with other adolescents. You yeah, find or, out what it means to be female yeah. or what it means to be male by running in packs, you know, right. the way. Or even talking to uh, the older generations. Yeah, exactly. You know, like but now we're that. isolated and mm -hmm. our experience of, of puberty is often digital through YouTube, through Instagram, through Facebook. And so you have those on YouTube who might be influencers. So these would be very notable people who are transgender, who are saying almost that their transition was a salvation for them. Mm. That So young girls saying, I was really anxious in high school and I felt really excluded and I didn't know how to deal with my depression. But then I started taking testosterone and I felt more confident mm. and, and some of these anxieties I had dissipated. And, and so there's this idea that maybe some of this is a, is a social power of suggestion in the same way that maybe anorexia was in the nineties. Yeah. Or bulimia. Um, bulimia. Yeah. yeah. Those things are very real experience things. Yeah, and I, I think there's a, uh, a very large correlation, too, with other mental health disorders. And so yeah. I, I think it's good to kind of categorize a little bit. I think there is a population of people who have this persistent, um, not just coming out of um, social media, feeling that yeah. I have the wrong body. Right. And that and would I be true. I can't stand being in this body. That yeah. would be true whether there was Instagram or YouTube right. or the suggestion of peers. Right. And then there's another trend and actually it's been coined and it's a, it's a area of t uh, study and kind of controversial, but it's called rapid onset gender dysphoria. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of what you're talking about that there's been people have recently observed in the last decade or so, yeah. this kind of mass movement of uh, especially teenage girls, which remember, uh, gender dysphoria was primarily a male thing. Right. It was much more common in males, but now there's a much there's like a trend of females wanting to be males, and this is kind of happening, especially in the teen population. But let me give you a little bit of a storyline or see how big that trend is. So in London, uh, in UK, the main gender clinic in 2009 they treated 51 individuals for gender dysphoria. 51 mm. in 2009. Uh, there was 34 males, 17 females. 2019, so a decade later, they treated um, 1,740 females in one year and 624 males in one mm -hmm. year, which is just an astro—I mean, astronomical change. And so if you're looking at that and you think that's totally natural, uh, I think you're you're wrong. <laughs> I think you'd have to say something is going mm -hmm. on in the culture, in the way that these kids are interacting, that has the way that we're talking about gender, the way that we're talking about sex, right? That has really just fanned this flame. Yeah. You know, and it's interesting that um, 
in the book that Abigail Schreier wrote, Irreversible Damage, one of the things she notes is that how there's even uh, less and less um, people are identifying as lesbians uh, because because even being a lesbian is kind of vanilla. It's kind mm. of bland in in terms of identifying as something unique. And so those who may in the past have, have been identifying as lesbian may just become transgender. And um, then also, um, you know, another thing we need to note too, just kind of going back to, um, I think there's maybe a counter argument somebody could give mm -hmm. is that these people who this rapid inf influx of people who are being treated at a gender clinic in the mm -hmm. UK, maybe for a long time they were silently suffering. Right. And they just didn't feel like they could come out and, and receive the help they need. But now it's more acceptable. And so, um, but then the, but then the other argument is that, no, this is a social suggestion thing and that, and that people are being, who may have been, they may have resolved their, gender dysphoria or even their rapid onset mm -hmm. gender dysphoria are now going deep with it and they're getting into a process that can in sometimes be irreversible in what it does to your body so yeah and i think we'll, we'll talk about that one uh next next episode i think um as far as the treatments or yeah, what, yeah. what's the next step yeah. i think so i think to to conclude you know we would just say look this is um for many people, this is real. Yeah, that's and the main yeah. thing to know is that this isn't something that people should look at and say, I don't see what the big deal is. Like yeah. for some people, this is a super big deal and it's not something that they can just turn off. Right, and yeah, so I think the simplistic move would just be to say, just cut it out. <laughs> yeah, just cut it out or, or yeah. God created male and female, end of story. And, yeah. and I see Christians will do that sometimes because especially if this is all kind of new for them they're right. like when i grew up this wasn't really all that prevalent and sometimes i think people will react to that and rather than learn the nuances and have empathy for people they might just say no right and and it's important that we as christians understand the real struggle that people have and also have empathy for them yeah. Um, I do think, I mean, there is a level where like maybe some of these um, trending kind of girls getting uh, desiring to be boys, you know, and kind of being influenced by social media and their peers. I think that's something that might um, just need a reality check, you know, like yeah. you might just need a, a loving conversation. But I think there is kind of a, a deeper um, psychological disorder that just says uh, my body it's and i would make i would make the comparison to something like anorexia mm -hmm. where it's like i feel completely uncomfortable with my body and that's right. it's disrupting everything every thought every day and even when those around yeah. me will say the opposite you know yeah and, and you i just can't yeah, right. convince yourself right and i just i can't just rise up above this yeah um, like a heart to heart conversation isn't going to solve this yeah so, so you need to see see both those pictures, I think. That's important, yeah, yeah. Um, so that is our first conversation, and we just ask you to stick with the conversation because uh, it's a nuanced one, and it requires patience to talk about. So join us next time as we'll talk about uh, 
you know, how somebody might respond to something like this uh, in terms of treatment.